Today's episode of the BS Podcast, the Licking Our Wounds BS Podcast, if you're a gambler, is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor, the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Do everything on your phone. Download the free SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Do it for me. 2017, this is your gift for me. You're going to sign up for SeatGeek and you're going to buy tickets for something. Please, come on. Uh, today's episode also brought to you by Hint Water. Hint is pure water, no sugar, no chemicals, infused with the taste of fresh fruit like watermelon, pineapple, or blackberry. New customers get a single variety pack shipped directly to their door, normally $24 for only $15. If you go to drinkhint.com slash BS and put in code BS, that's drinkhint.com slash BS, code BS. We're also brought to you by theringer.com. That's where you can find my Friday playoff football columns and maybe even a little NBA column this week as well as the best in sports, tech, and pop culture. Lots of NFL, NBA, and Golden Globes up there right now. We had a big, we had jam session in The Watch, two of our most popular podcasts. We merged them yesterday, did a whole Facebook Live, and that's also available as a podcast on uh, on The Watch's podcast feed. Pretty fascinating Golden Globes last night. I, I actually, I want to talk about it at some point during the podcast. We're also brought to you. By the Ringer's aforementioned podcast network that features The Watch, Channel 33, The Ringer NFL Show, The Ringer NBA Show, Ringer University, and more. Subscribe to Channel 33 to hear my new sports movie Hall of Fame series. A third show coming on Wednesday. We recorded this already. I won't tell you what movie we did, but it's coming on Wednesday. Subscribe to Channel 33's feed. Now, speaking of podcasts, we wanted to thank my friends Dan Pfeiffer, Tommy Vitor, John Lovett, and especially... My buddy John Favreau, who I've known for almost 10 years since he was a pup, for giving The Ringer so much terrific content during the crazy 2016 presidential election. And it really was crazy. Literally, it was crazy. It was bonkers. But we love working with these guys. All of us did. And uh, we wanted to wish them luck with their new endeavor at Cricket Media, which they launched today. They have ambitious goals, and we are rooting for them. Good luck, guys. All right. Let's talk football. All right. Well, we didn't do that well, gambling-wise, in round one. But that's okay, because round two promises a lot more stability. Cousin Sal on the line. Not in person. On the line this time. It is so rainy and scary right now. It's like almost a full drizzle. This is like this is like a monsoon by L.A. standards. Sal, are you okay? Is your car okay? I'm okay, yeah, okay? but it was, it was safer to stay off the roads. You're right. Jeez. Call in. I mean, when it starts, this kind of semi-heavy drizzle, it's really terrifying. People don't know yeah, how to handle it. we might get upwards of uh, three-eighths of an inch here, so yeah. better right, be, be safe than sorry. People in L.A., be careful out there. Really, don't use your cars unless you absolutely have to. So we, we didn't love this week. The only game we really loved was Seattle, and we liked the Giants. And I do feel like if the Hail Mary doesn't happen, I really would love to see how that Giants game plays out. But what was your... What was your big takeaway coming at around one other than that those games were pretty terrible? Well, here's the thing, and it's easy to take all four favorites. It, <clears throat> it really is. The four better teams are at home for the most part. Actually, they're, they're all, all four better teams were home, I think. And, you know, I just look at it, maybe you, you feel the same way. In college, I would take all four favorites in a playoff round, and I'd get my ass handed to me, right? right. Like every year, maybe even in junior high school. I can't even remember how far back. So then you start looking like, oh, 
can Miami cover? Yeah, they can keep it close. They're not as good, but they'll keep it close. The backup, and we did the same thing with the Giants, as hot as the Packers were. And then you're stuck with all these underdogs that suck. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think we were in a lot of those games. Like, I, obviously, the Giants should have kept it closer. That Hail Mary, which needs to be renamed, by the way. It just can't be a Hail Mary anymore. Like, Hail, do you have any ideas? Hail Rodgers? Well, he, yeah. I think one of the great accomplishments of his career, and maybe even the number one accomplishment other than having a brother that won the Bachelorette, is <laughs> the fact that when he's in Hail Mary situation now, it's a must-watch. Oh, yeah. Everyone else who has a Hail Mary, I feel like it's like an onside kick. or It's probably way worse odds than an onside kick, but you watch and you go, oh, this isn't going to work, but it'll be fun to watch somebody bat it down. And when it's yeah. Rodgers, I'm like riveted. I'm thinking like, oh, I wonder, is he going to run the play where he throws it right to the goal line, the middle of the goal line? Is he going to go deep end zone? How high is he going to throw it? Like I always feel like he has a chance. I wasn't remotely surprised that they caught it. When is when can you ever remember in football watching for four decades, not being surprised when somebody catches a hail mary like that? To me, that's an achievement. Oh no, I can't. I, I mean, it's almost the same conversion rate as an extra point at this at this at this stage. It's, it's insane. I think someone uh, tweeted me and said it would be fun to rename it uh, when Rogers tries it the uh, the touchdown attempt. So it's like a, it's a field goal attempt. But if it's too long for a field goal attempt, this is a touchdown attempt by Rogers for I was, the yard bomb. But I was thinking we just call it Mary. Because he's yeah. not even hailing Mary. He's just calling Mary, and he's and he's just gonna, <laughs> gonna yeah. basically get it done. I uh, maybe not even Mary. Maybe just Meh. M E H. It's gonna happen. Well, but, let's go. Let's yeah, quickly... I, just, I don't know. Like, why aren't the defensive should should spend half their practices defending against this during the week? Because uh, it really turned the game, right? Like, did you have the Giants weren't gonna win after that? I don't care how close they got. I thought they had no chance of winning, but then when McCarthy inexplicably went for it on his own 40 on fourth down, which uh-huh. I come and go on this one. It's a little bit like the blackjack that you hit against the 12 against the two. In this case, they had all the momentum from the Hail Mary. They, the Giants were looking for any excuse to get back in that game, and now all of a sudden you give it to them, you get stuffed, they score, I think, on the next play, and all of a sudden it's 14-13. I don't know why they didn't go for two, by the way. But right. I just thought I thought the risk outweighed the reward. If you get it, great. You're on the 40 yard line. You know, I, I was okay with it. I just think the play is not great. And Montgomery has put up good stats the last month, but that can't right. be your fourth and one guy. It just can't be. He's a wide receiver. He goes down too easily. Again, I know he does. He has good numbers uh, throughout the last month, but that's not the play. Well, that's yeah, and that's another thing. Like run better plays. Whenever they do the advanced metrics, and like actually that percentage wise, is really. It's like yeah. It, assuming that they ran a half decent play, that was not a great play. It was a little bit like eight, nine years ago when the Pats against the Colts, when we were on our own 30, which was basically one of the great advanced metrics moments of last decade when they went for it and they didn't get it and the Colts scored and won the game. And, and the advanced metrics community was saying, no, actually, statistically, that was, that was, might have been the right play. It's like, well, right. that's fine, but we ran a terrible play. We ran a, a, a quick out to Kevin Falk. Uh, against the wrong defense. You can't tell me that that was the right decision. Um, let's mm-hmm. let's go through the games quickly, and then we'll end on that Giants-Packers game. What did you learn from Houston-Oakland? Here's what I learned. I, Brock actually did better than I expected, and I don't know if it's because the Raiders' defense is just 
uh, is an atrocity and way worse than than maybe we thought it was? Or yeah, did Brock go to another level? It's a, it's an extra tightening of the dagger in your, in your heart when you bet against Brock and he runs for a first down on third and six and then he he does the first down motion. It's like, oh my god! I know. Have you really earned that? Have you earned that? I, I, I deserve to lose everything I have on this game. He was fired but, up um, and. And Oakland's D, I thought they had shut down the run, maybe hit him once. I thought the crowd would turn on him. But I think everybody realized pretty early that Connor Cook was just overmatched. And not only was he a little bit scared, they had this shot of him in the warm-ups where I would have changed my bet right away. They just showed him, and it was just he had the frozen face. I was like, oh, my God, this could be a disaster. But not only was he scared, but it seemed like Oakland was scared to use him. And everything they yeah. did was out of fear, and I, I just don't think when you when you're in a situation like that, I don't think you can play out of fear and hope that the guy's it, not going to hurt you because your defense isn't good enough. It didn't seem like the Jack Del Rio type team, the team that went for two and won the game, of, you right. know, earlier in the year, like the you know, push it down their throat kind of thing. Yeah, he's throwing screen passes and everything, like everything's going to be, you know. The, the, Highly high calculation passes, although that was ended up being intercepted by Clowney. But yeah, take the training wheels off, throw downfield, establish something early. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to get you know you're going to you're going to lose psychologically. You're not going to have a chance. I mean, it's 18 for 45 with three picks. So. That's pretty. Yeah, I mean, once they knew he had to throw, he was in trouble. Houston's D, I thought did everything they needed to do in that game. I still don't. It's. I mean, if we've learned anything over the years, it's don't overreact to round one one way or the other. Houston's D, they do have some blue chippers on that on the defense. And it's, you know, we're going to talk about the Patriots line a little bit. The Patriots line is going to be really high. Houston's mm-hmm. defense is definitely good. I don't think it's great, but it's good. And they have cornerbacks to cover people and they can get a pass rush and... You know, that was uh, the game they needed. Yeah, definitely. They, I, I don't know how they got Crabtree to drop all those passes. I don't know how they did that. That, yeah. was, that was pretty magnificent. And on the other side, you know, Khalil Mack had 11 tackles, but he needed to get on Osweiler. He needed to sack him. Any pressure would have helped, and there was just none of that. And It was and just that, one of those games. Like, game. Yeah, it was one of those games. They, Houston fumbled three times, recovered all three, right? Mm-hmm. Any one of those flips the game a little bit. Uh, Osweiler made an awesome throw at the end of the first half. He hit Hopkins, yeah. you know, in the corner. It set up a touchdown. It was a great throw. It was as good as any throw we've seen all weekend. So he did make a couple plays. So anyway, I don't want to talk about that game too much because Oakland, I, there was a really telling moment right before the game started. This was another time I would have changed the bet. Khalil Mack was coming off the field. I think they'd gotten a stop or whatever had happened. And he was walking right by Connor Cook, who was talking to Del Rio. And he almost like bumped into him, but he didn't give him like the ass slap. Let's go, buddy. Come right. on. Here we go, dude. Come on. We believe in you. He just kind of walked by him. And I remember watching that go, oh, that's yeah. not good. That's... You're on one team. I'm on another kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But also like this guy, this guy is scared and he sucks and we're screwed. That was that the body language doctor. That's what I learned from that. Uh, Seattle, <laughs> well, Detroit. Well, a wise man once told me uh, never put a backup quarterback uh, on the road in a teaser. And uh, and that was you. And then we yeah. went ahead and did it. We had Seattle was our best, and we put Seattle with a teaser with everyone else: <laughs> Miami, Oakland, and uh, and the Giants. And we had not only one, we had two backups in the teaser. And I know. Then, yeah, that didn't work out great. Well, I I just want to say for the record that it's round one, and I just wanted to gamble on all the games. That's who, I do. Right. I do. 
I mean, there was no bigger stay away than Raiders Texans <laughs> probably in the last ten years in the playoffs. But it's like it's the first game. I want, I don't no, want to just watch it. It's so terrible. So you yeah. take a flyer. We're running out of games. The other thing is, you know, like maybe we're not. Maybe don't listen to us for the uh, informational part of the of the program. Maybe that's not what's important. I got I got a tweet from someone. This is a God's honest truth. A guy told me he got out of a ticket because the cop pulled him over. And he was listening to us. He was listening to us on the BS report, and the guy liked the cop liked us and let him go. And that's a true story. When did that happen? I don't know. I could get you the. I'll forward you the tweet. But it happened. Apparently, happened last week. So oh, there you go. I mean, that's a better that's, accomplishment for us than losing the three teams that we tease Seattle with. <laughs> of course, right. Meanwhile, of course, a guy murdered a hobo, and they let him go because he listens to us. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> uh, classic. Classic Simmons-style fashion. We're really in rare form. The only mm-hmm. game we really, really liked was Seattle. That's we what just I mean. were we like, put them with every teaser. Yeah, yeah but I mean, it was uh, like, it was the only one we were like, Seattle's going yeah. to win. They're going to beat Detroit. And yet, we never just said, let's do the money line or whatever. I didn't really learn anything from that game because I went into it thinking Detroit was a bad team for as mm-hmm. far as playoff teams go, and they were. And yet now it seems like that's our round one overreaction team. The Seahawks, oh, they can run the ball. Oh, they have to have the, the old school seed. They look like the Seahawks. And it's like we didn't learn anything from that game. They should have beaten Detroit by 20 points. They're a much better team. And I don't know if they're going to – are they going to be able to run the ball against Atlanta in round two? I don't know. I don't, I don't think they will as uh, effectively. But I will say this. The best thing about Seattle in that game is the adjustment Pete Carroll made. I mean, Wilson was throwing back, dropping back to pass, and there was nothing there. He was getting slaughtered back there. And they're like, all right, let's, just, let's run the ball to establish the pass. And luckily that worked. Rawls went for 161 yards, and the Lions' defense was, defense was pretty soft, I would say, overall. And that, that's how it turned. Yeah, it's – it is funny these teams they get in they get into a situation in the playoffs where they could either fight back or they kind of roll over. And you saw it with Miami mm-hmm. too. The the Steelers offense reached a point where you could see Miami's defense just kind of checked out a little bit. And yeah. Miami's defense yeah, sure. was just awful in that game. What's crazy is that line was so high that I almost felt to the bitter end that Miami had a chance because Yeah. Um, what was it, 20-6, to six, and they had a little momentum near the end of the half. Matt Moore it looked like they were going to at least get a field goal. Matt Moore looked good in that game until he almost got decapitated. Uh, but he had that he, big fumble. He had, I mean, I, he had to still be concussed during those, right? I mean, that was that – was, first of all, I don't know how that guy wasn't thrown out of the game. That was a, a car crash right, right in front of our eyes, but helmet to helmet. But, yeah, and then he fumbled, and then Jay Ajayi, I thought he'd be an impact player. He was, but – only because he forced a fumble on his own quarterback. It was right when they got into a good spot is when bad things happened for them. I uh, I think Matt Moore's brains were a little scrambled. Yeah. I think Nance and Sims kind of – they did it the whole game. It's Nance and Sims are broadcasting these games like it's 1995. You know, there was another time when the two defensive backs collided on that long pass inside the five-yard right. line for Miami. And the guy was down for a while, and he gets up. He's being helped off by three people. He's obviously not right. And Nance is like, he looks a little woozy. It's like, yeah, we're not seeing that guy again, Jim. Right, <laughs> the, yeah. The guy has a concussion. We, you know, it's just the whole thing was weird. And I, I couldn't believe that more just coming back a play later after he'd been lying on the ground for five minutes. Um, all of it was weird. 
I, I, I don't know what the concussion protocol is. I don't know. The calls don't make sense. Like you had in the Giants-Green Bay game, Montgomery fumbles. Hockey League, no whistle. We don't hear any whistle. They come in three seconds later blowing a whistle. They say there's forward progress. I don't know how there was forward progress. He got tackled, and then he dropped the ball. Then they said his knee was down. I never saw his knee down. I, did you see a replay that made it actually seem like his knee was down? Because I didn't see I it. I thought his right knee was way down if you did the math on it. Yeah, I did. If you, but but you're again, guessing, was, though, right? You didn't actually see the knee hitting the ground, did you? But what was the call on the field? The call on the field was that his forward progress was stopped. Right. Yeah. So but you watching to, in the I, naked I, I, eye. I thought he was down. Watching in the naked eye, I didn't, I didn't see the forward eye. I mean, if his knee was down, great, but there was no replay that definitively showed it. And if you're going to say his forward progress is down, it, that's a that's you're calling that in like one tenth of a second. We usually yeah, the forward progress thing is stupid. I think Montgomery knew and thought his knee was down, and then just placed the ball down. That's that's how it looked to me. But I needed the forward progress is nowhere there. Yeah, I mean that was a huge play, and mm-hmm. was basically the same kind of play as Eli throwing the ball and fumbling it as he's throwing it and. If they just said, no, no, his arm was going forward. We're not replaying this. Let's move on. It was strange. I mean, they should have lost that game. I don't think that play gets enough credit either, only because I think the game was over and it didn't matter. If you're watching it, you're watching for the Giants to cover on a teaser or something stupid. But Clay Matthews, that was the play of the year, right? The defensive play of the year. It was great. Strip sacks strip sacks uh, uh, Eli. Now the ball goes forward eight yards, so no one heard a whistle, but everyone assumes like, all right, that looks like an incomplete pass, so we're going to stop. Matthews, then a giant actually does pick it up, and Matthews bowls him over and picks the ball up, recovers the fumble like 13 yards from where he strip sacked in the first place. Spectacular play. Well, Ed Hockley had already determined that it didn't matter if his whistle went off or not. He was just going to arbitrarily decide if the play was over. So maybe they, they, none of them knew what to do. Did you learn, like the Steelers were really good in that game. Miami's defense was not good. I don't really know what it means for Kansas City. We had, Pittsburgh already lit up Kansas City. I will say, when they were talking before the game on the pregame show, I think one of the guys on the Fox show picked Pittsburgh just because it was a, a revenge game. It was either the Fox show or the ESPN show. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. They're mad that they lost to Miami three three months ago. I could actually see that logic a little bit. Like, hey, that was right. our worst game of the year. Let's avenge it. Now I'm mm-hmm. wondering, does that same logic apply to Kansas City in round two? They were humiliated on Sunday night against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh goes into it thinking, oh, we can beat these guys. And KC's like, we're not letting them come into our house. They do that whole thing. It's an interesting wrinkle. I do think, I think for sure, but that, that that same revenge factor doesn't doesn't play with <laughs> with the Patriots and and Texans, right? True. No, like I think no. like you, you look you look at a blowout and like you know Miami Miami Pittsburgh's like we're not we're not worse than Miami. We're definitely not two touchdowns worse like we were back in October whenever it was. Same thing with Kansas City Pittsburgh, but I think you look at twenty seven nothing Houston New England. Not only is there no revenge factor, and we're going to use that bold and board material, we're going to, to inspire us. But I think that I think that dooms the Texans right there. I think they realize no, we're not coming back from that. The uh, the Pittsburgh's <laughs> defense looked better than I expected. I don't yeah, know whether sure. it was because of Miami's offensive line. Miami was missing their center. They they shut down Ajay. They made some big plays on the edge, and you know I I've been poo pooing the Pittsburgh winning streak a little bit 
which all the Steelers fans love to remind us of, that we're mm-hmm. not giving them enough credit. That was the first time I was like, wow, I could, if they came into New England, that that's I, I'm going to be a little more nervous than I expected. The one thing I will say, we've said it week after week, Roethlisberger throws three balls up for grabs every game. Right. He did it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, a really terrible pass near the end of the first half that the defensive end dropped back or defensive lineman dropped back should have just caught. And then he threw two more picks. But he's throwing three balls up for grabs every game. And if I'm a Pittsburgh fan, that's still the thing I'm the most worried about. I think they did what they had to do. They did what a lot of teams we talked about don't ever do. They went for the kill. They have a high-power offense, and they went for the kill. And the game kicked off at 1 Eastern, and at 121, they were up 14 nothing. And what did that do? That took Jay Ajayi out of the game. That's yeah. it. It's like, you know, he, he's not going to rush for 220 now because they're going to have to throw. Matt Moore is going to have to throw and beat you. And that's basically what happened. They held on to that lead, and, and good for them. But I don't know if – I think I think that's – that's going to be tough to pull off against Kansas City. Probably in retrospect, not ideal for Miami to be playing in the freezing cold weather. Right. right. I think it definitely hurt their defense a little bit. It was it was interesting that I forget which game it was yesterday, but one of the games, the ref's whistle froze. He had to put the whistle next to the heater. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So cold weather, cold weather teams at home, something to file away for the future. I, I, uh, Quickly on the Giants game, for 25 minutes, it seemed like the Giants were better. And if Odell, Odell had that just murderous drop in the fir- on the first drive, that mm-hmm. should have been a touchdown. They're going, they're going. All of a sudden, Rodgers gets the one drive. He's dancing around, gets the touchdown at 7-6. Now we're going into halftime. Who did you think was going to win before that Hail Mary? Before the Hail Mary, I thought the Giants would keep it close. I thought it was going to come down to the last drive. I really did. I did too. And by I the way, twenty-one thirteen, 21-13, they kick off to Rainey, a lunging attempt, making sure he hits both feet in bounds. Insane. That ball was clearly going out of bounds. It would have yeah. started from the 40-yard line. That was a difference maker, too, if you don't count the Hail Mary, that, which was real, really turned the game. But, that was horrible. Um, and I also think... I would have Odell back for every kick. I don't know why they always do it in desperation mode. Just put him back. If you're the Packers, yeah. it's like, do you want Odell back on returning kicks? No. So put him back there. Uh, should yeah. we talk? We got to talk Steelers, about Steelers do it with Brown, right? On, on the punts, right? Yeah. We got to talk about the boat stuff really quickly just because we ignored it last week on the BS podcast. I thought yeah. it was a non story, but I think it's going to be a story all, basically for the entire offseason. And I'm sure. As the week goes along, there's going to be some, are they going to trade Odell? Should we trade him? Can they handle him? Mm -hmm. Is is his head in the right place? He's too much of a diva. Can you win a Super Bowl? All that stuff's going to start. I thought the boat thing was a non-story. I know know everyone on social media, it's great. You have fun with it, all that stuff. But that's not why they lost. They gave up 38 points to Aaron Rodgers. I don't know know what the boat had to do with that. They literally couldn't. Once Rodgers Corbardi came out, they couldn't stop him. So, yeah. I don't know what that has to do with the boat. It is a non-story. It's definitely a non-story. It, it, it wasn't the night before. It was six days, right? Six or seven days before. Right. And whatever. They're fine. It, it's, it's only a story if you want to, you know, that, because, they're gonna, because of the media, they're going to hear about it for the, these players for the rest of maybe their lives or at least for the offseason. Right. So if you could handle that kind of thing, don't worry about it. But if you can't handle it, 
think twice then about going on a boat in Miami shirtless, you know, six days before. But, yes, absolutely not. That, that, that's not why they lost to uh, the Packers. Would you – I forget who was texting me this yesterday. My apologies to – oh, uh, a buddy of mine who won't be – who doesn't want to be named because he works in a – he works <laughs> as a sports job. He was wondering why the team with the higher win-loss record doesn't host the round one and round two games. The like, team with the higher one. What do you mean? So the oh, Raiders, just, uh, the Raiders went twelve and four, and Houston oh, went right, nine yeah. and seven. But Houston hosted the game because yeah. of I'm fine with the seeds. I get it. It's great. But if you have that four or five, but the Raiders have won three more games, mm-hmm. should that game be in Oakland? And same right. thing with the uh, with the Giants and the Packers. The Packers, they get a home home thing just because they were in a division that didn't have anyone as good as Dallas should they host a round one game against a team that had a better record than them and also would it make the last week of the season more interesting if mm-hmm. win loss record determined who hosted the home games the seeds wouldn't right. change but higher record gets to host it um, well first of all before we go any, any further with this I, I need to know who texted you we need to know the, the nation needs to know this is an outrageous uh Theory proposed. So it just was, tell us. It was. Uh, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I'll put it this way, though. It was a Giants fan who was who was salty uh, that that game was at Lambeau. So oh, you don't I like see. this theory. I, I don't know. I don't. I'm. You know. But sure, I don't think it would have helped the Raiders. The Raiders would have been like a seven point favorite in Houston. Had you know against Houston, car yeah. played, yeah, you know, so that that wouldn't have mattered. I think I'm okay with you get a home game if you win a division. That's kind of what teams set out to do every year to win their division, right? So okay. they should be rewarded with a home game. All right, we're gonna talk about the we're gonna guess the round two lines, but first, download the Lyft app, get a ride in minutes for less than the cost of a cab. Every Lyft driver is fully vetted through their 10 point safety standard. They're rated after every ride. Only the best stick around with Lyft. You can tip in the app, which obviously it's the happier and better drivers. Nine out of ten Lyft rides get a perfect five-star rating from the passenger. It's also the highest-rated ride-sharing app, and it's your buddy whenever you need a ride. People are actually getting rid of their cars and relying on Lyft to get around. I've heard stories about this. Right now, Lyft is offering our listeners a special deal. Get three free rides for up to $10 each, up to a $30 value when you enter promo code Bill Simmons. Download the free Lyft app today. Enter promo code Bill Simmons. In the payment section. That happens to be my name, Sal. Three free rides. Is that your name? Yeah, it's my name. Three free rides up to $10 each. L-Y-F-T. Try it out. All right. Round two lines. What is the Saturday? What's the first Saturday game? First Saturday game is Seattle at Atlanta. 435 uh, Eastern. All right. I guessed four, and you guessed four and a half. And the line is? Four and a half. Oh, you nailed it. Right now, four and a half. You nailed opened it. Opened at four and a half and has remained at four and a half. That's what you like to call the Vegas zone. Yep. I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Obviously, I think it's fair. I think uh, Atlanta has to be happy with what they've seen from the Seattle team. Because I, I think if they can get to 30 points, if Atlanta can get to 30 points, I don't think Seattle can match that. But, and this also a revenge game. Atlanta was winning most of the game in Seattle, if I remember correctly. And then they, they, Seattle took the lead, and then there was a no, non-pass interference call. I think it was on Julio Jones, and they lost by two. Is that right? Yes. Big game this year. Dan Quinn, former, former Seahawks defensive coordinator. That's big. Yeah. That is big. Could be a, little, could now, be a long hug before the game. Maybe, maybe a long right. understanding hug after. There's going to be some hugs. 
And Matt people. Ryan voted first team All Pro is now minus four hundred to win the MVP. Uh, Rogers plus four fifty. Brady five to one. Yeah, um, it's it's car. It, Go ahead. I was gonna say it's a shame we weren't talking about those Matt Ryan odds for five weeks on this podcast without ever actually doing anything about it. At one point, it was like plus two fifty. <laughs> we're just staring yeah, at we it for. Yeah, we're just staring at it. Forever. Is that fair for Carr to be 150 to one and Brady five to one? Like, didn't we see enough? I know it's a it's a regular season um, award, so you don't count the playoffs. But I think we saw enough from that Raiders team to know that Derek Carr is the guy. That that was that's why they had as many wins as they did. Why is he he played three more games than Brady, who's five to one odds, and he's 150 to one? These are great points. I I would say Ryan Rogers and Carr should all be above Brady. And, and right. Tom Brady is one of my favorite athletes of all time, and I love the Patriots. But it's just hard for yeah. me to—he missed four games, and they were going to cruise to that division anyway. And when he wasn't playing, they still won one, three, or four games. I don't know. It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's, no, I'm okay with either or any of those guys getting it. I just I can't believe Carr is 150 to one. When, yeah, that's you nuts. Know, and the other three are low. So. That's nuts. So, <laughs> yeah. Atlanta. I think this is a great spot for them in general because they win this one. Now you have Green Bay going into Dallas. You got to be a little scared. You, mm-hmm. Jordan, they, I guess the no Jordy Nelson possibilities are. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll wait till we get that line. But the no Jordy yeah. Nelson would be the only reason I would be a little bit. I don't know. We can cover, but uh, but this is set up nicely for Atlanta. I think Seattle, right. I, I just think Green Bay, Dallas, and Atlanta are a notch above Seattle. Seattle is the worst team talent-wise and just everything in that conference. And Atlanta is the two-seed and somehow ends up with the easier matchup. This would have been a fun one. I remember in the mailbag a million years back, uh, somebody suggested about, I think it was even for NBA, but I think I stole it for NFL too, whether in round two the team should be able to pick who they want to play, the higher seed team. Right. Because if you're Dallas, would you rather play Seattle or Green Bay? I would rather play Seattle. Yeah. I'd rather play Seattle for sure. And I think it would be great. You make it like a press conference, Belichick, you know, it's, a, it's, 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 you know, it's appointment television. You can even make it a pay-per-view. Bill, Bill Belichick has to announce at the presser who he wants to play. Great. And no matter what decision they made, the, other, the team that was dissed with – whoever the pick was would be totally, right. they, it would be the nobody believes in us thing. It would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. So Saturday night, Pat's Houston, I guess 14 okay, and a half. I just I want to say if Atlanta plays December Atlanta and not January Atlanta over the years, they, they should win this game. But let's, who knows what happens? Well, we're, <laughs> what becomes it. Maybe this will be, we'll finally get the greatest moment in Georgia Dome history. Oh yeah, that's Maybe right. Yeah, we got a lot of a uh, lot of Goldberg. I think Goldberg even retweeted someone who said that his match was with Hogan was yeah. uh, was the number one moment. That was yeah. the last great moment of the WCW. Goldberg continuing his streak, pinning Hollywood Hogan in the Georgia Dome, mm-hmm. nineteen ninety eight. Right afterwards, WCW fell apart. It was never the same. So right. some other people were saying Carrie Strug. Oh right, was one of them. She won. She won in there and. uh and there was a, uh, a million bowl games and SEC games and all that stuff. But who can keep mm-hmm. track of college football? I certainly can't. Yeah. So I have the Pats by 14 and a half at home against Houston. What would you have for that one? I said 17, and it's 16. 
No, you're going to beat so me. So I get that one. I'm up to nothing. But um, so basically, the logic there is that it unfolds like the Pittsburgh Miami game, where if the Pats go up fourteen nothing, Houston's got to start throwing the ball. Now you have Brock Osweiler in a position where <laughs> he's got to make plays, and all of a sudden it's twenty eight nothing. That line still seems right. a little high to me because Houston's defense is pretty good. Oh no way! You let me Patriots fandom aside. What would the spread have to do for you to put money on the on the Texans? Oh, it'd have to go it'd to like, have to be no, it'd have to go to forty twenty five forty. Yeah, right, exactly. I would take exactly. Houston That's plus forty. I think Vegas got slammed this weekend. I mean, a lot of teasers went away because if you had the underdogs, but and there were a couple unders in there too. But especially in that last game, if you had the Packers in the over yeah. and all the favorites all weekend long, they got slammed. So I think they're just making this high. Not even trying to encourage Houston money, but just make it aligned so that people just stay away from this game. Like, let this be the game you don't bet. Kind of thing. <laughs> they're, they're deterring us from wagering. <laughs> I think the buildings are crumbling. Do you think Vegas won or lost on that Giants-Packers game? Uh, I think they got killed. I mean, because it, it went it went up uh, Sunday. It was four, I know it went down originally. It was like seven, right. went down to four and a half. But when the big money when when the has to be big money to move the line. It's Sunday afternoon, and it went from like four to five, five and a half some places. Oh, you're right. And the same thing happened to Pittsburgh because that line moved two and a half points. It went from Steelers nine to Steelers 11 and a half. So they got smoked on that. They had to have lost on Seattle. Seattle went up a point and a half. Mm -hmm. And what was the fourth game? And, you know, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people other than you or I betting the Raiders uh, on Saturday early afternoon. But yeah, but we, yeah, I don't think they did very well. Betting the Raiders is just like, I don't even know. It's like it's like being at a party and somebody offers you a jello shot and you just take it. I, yeah. It's the first game. How do you not bet on the first playoff game? We should have stayed like away. That. I don't have any regrets. All right, Sunday well, morning. Well, there are no jello shot shot games this week. But what's the psychology going into this? So now we have four favorites covering. We know do you go into this thinking, <clears throat> "All right, I'm going with the home team favorites again. They're they're 10 and 2 in the last 3 years, not covering but winning uh in this round. They're what are they like? Uh, Sixteen and four in the last five years, I think. Just the home team right. winning and advancing this round. So, do we say, all right, it's going to continue, or do we say, well, there's no way this is going to happen. This is the, the, the road teams have to at least cover some of these, and you have Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Green Bay tried and true playoff teams on the road. Like this is this is a scary week, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. The the home teams going for the home favorites all going four and zero last week is definitely a monkey wrench. Wasn't the year before? Didn't every road team cover a year ago and right. win one? Now we had the complete opposite. But they were better. Like Seattle was yeah. better than Minnesota, I think, and they covered. And uh, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh was weird. You know. Well, I think we're gonna luck yeah. out with. I think that Atlanta line is gonna drop. I think it ends up at three and a half. Would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I think people like the Seattle team and almost are projecting what they think is going to happen versus what we've actually seen. So Sunday, let me ask you this yeah. about the Patriots real quick. Is there a chance you sit Brady now? 27, nothing. That's substantial. You beat them early in the week with a week three on a Thursday yeah. night or something. 27, nothing. Do you start Jacoby Brissett to the, does Belichick say to Tom Brady's like, Hey Tom, Stop thanks it. for everything. We need you to sit here. <laughs> That's Jacoby Brissett. He just, Jacoby just knows Come Houston. On. He knows, he knows the defense. That well, wouldn't be a slap in the face. It's just like we're just going to arrest you. We don't want to. We don't want to start any problems. That no? is that's ludicrous. All right. Maybe handsome Jimmy. Twenty-seven, nothing. When does <laughs> this would be a good bet? Not sound overconfident. 
Although it's hard not to be overconfident against this Texans team and the biggest yeah. gambling spread in 19 years in the playoffs. But when do you think Jimmy Garoppolo comes into this game would be a good over-under bet? Like, Interesting. Like six-minute mark, fourth quarter, would you go over-under? There will be a stat. Well, does he take a snap for sure? Oh, yeah. he de- he'll definitely take it. If, if you're going to bet on the Pats plus 16, you should bet on Garoppolo taking a snap. Minus 16. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Or minus I'm 16. All right, what do we have for the first Sunday game? All right, Sunday, 1 Eastern, 105 Eastern, Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Mm. What did I say for this, three or two and a half? You said, you said two and a half. I said three and a half. I thought it would be higher. I like Kansas City at home. It's one and a half. Yeah, People love what they saw from Pittsburgh yesterday. Boy, it's hard. I mean, there's a great undervalued home favorite case to be made at KC playing home mm-hmm. with some with the Tyreek Hill X factor, the revenge factor, all that stuff. Man, it's it's hard to talk yourself into KC in this game now after Pittsburgh just even with the three terrible Roethlisberger throws per game, it's just they're so loaded. It's hard to go against them. I don't know. I got, I'm going to be sorting my feelings about it all week. That's a great line, though. One and a half is nice. I like it. It is pretty good. And you know what? It, 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 it's harder because you watch Levy and Bell, and it's, it's something you've never seen before. It's, right. just, it's just the way he's, he's skipping around in the hole. He'll gain four yards before he decides to, to make a move start moving, one way or yeah. another. Yeah. Like, what, what's his average miles per hour on a, on a run? Is it like six before he gets going? Like, it's really, really weird. Well, I know you I think you're, Justin Houston. Justin I, Houston's the key to this. If he doesn't play, Kansas City's in trouble. If he plays banged up, they, they're in a little less trouble. But he, he needs to uh, be a force there. Well, I know you're a huge soccer fan, so you'll totally get this analogy. Yeah. He reminds me a little bit of Messi. Messi does this mm-hmm. thing where. Messi's moving as fast as everybody else, but it seems like he's going half speed. And then when he turns on the Jets, it's like he's got the uh, the Vin Diesel CO two pack in his in his engine. And mm-hmm. Bell's like that too. Bell's moving half speed, but he's somehow moving as fast as all the other guys in the field. And then when he goes, yeah. it's like it's like wait a second, how did you do that? He's he's terrifying. And, I'm glad you you know I don't care so much that you brought it up soccer, but I'm glad you didn't reference. Your daughter's soccer team. I you can know, if that, you that want. That was a good way to stay. I can. You I, want me to... He reminds me of of Margot on my daughter's <laughs> soccer team. She plays through the ball. She goes and goes and goes. <laughs> it's a little bit reminds me of Una on on my daughter's soccer team. Actually, she had the same kind of wheels. All right, so we see a lot of Una. So, do we think Pittsburgh will be favored in this game at any point this week? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think it might go the the other way a little. I'm just trying to figure out how your Patriots walk out here. Was Big Ben out for the year after a, a, a Steelers last second win or something? Oh, the, well, he's this... in the, the walking boot after the game was fun. I enjoyed that as a Coach, Pats fan. Coach <laughs> I hope he's 100 percent for next now. year. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say this: very rarely does a playoff line end up in that one to two range. It usually either goes, it swings toward the the road team or it swings back up to like two and a half. But at right. one and one and a half is not where it'll end up. So so people will bet this one way or the other. All right, the last right. game, your Cowboys. Your boys. Home for the Packers. Yeah. Uh, I said three. I thought that was, I thought there's going to be a lot of Green Bay backers early on. You said four and a half. You get it. It's four. So we tie two two, and we you're up nine six four on the year. Wow! And you win. I clinched you for the year the then. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You look won at me. The season. All right. What a creep. 
how scared I, you know, are you? I went back and forth with that Green Bay Giants game. I, I don't think there was ever a game where I went back and forth as to who I was rooting for. You and I had the Giants on a, a teaser. You and I picked the Giants with the points. Yet I don't want the Giants to beat the Cowboys a third time. That makes for a miserable eight months following for me. But, God damn, the Packers are so damn good. Like Cobb is a game-time decision. He has three, three touchdowns. I, know, like, I don't know. Incredible. I'm not much less nervous with – the possibility of Jordy Nelson and Montgomery not playing. Like, um, he just, you know, Rodgers, what is it, five straight games with 30 points? Like, he's going to get there. Even if he has a slow start, he's going to get to 30 one way or another. I asked Gary. Weinberger, huge Giants fan, president of BSMG, I was like, mm-hmm. what was it like to root against Rodgers in that game? Rodgers was so great in that game. Like, what, what was the mood in the room? And he was like, it was just quiet. It was just... just us sitting there in silence, that being unable yeah. to stop it. It was basically what happened for the last two hours of that game. And it's just scary to be in any playoff game where you don't have the best player in the field. You know, all due right. respect to Dak and Elliott and the D and the O line, all that stuff. But Rogers is the best player in the league right now. You know, he's been he's been yeah. unconscious for seven weeks. And uh yeah. and he can absolutely go into Dallas and have the confidence to win there. And uh, I don't know. It's not great for you. And you, and then you have Dak in his first playoff start, which results have been mixed over the years. I remember Brady's first playoff start was the snow game against Oakland. So hard, and he was terrible in the first half, and then in the second half, an OT really came on. But you know, it's different animals. Speed moves a little faster, a little sure. more pressure, the whole thing. And uh, it's a, it's a good one. I I think that line should end up at three. I gotta say, I think that should be a well, three point what- favorite. That's what I picked. I thought it would be three. And how many people are going to take Green Bay on a two-team teaser? Like getting ten? Are you kidding me? Is that, that, they're going to see that as a lock. I think they do have to move that line down. I think Dallas, with all respect to Dak, you know, it's got to be Ezekiel Elliott's game. It's got to. They have to control time of possession. They have to keep the ball out of Rodgers' hands and, and hope for the best. Like, I don't, know, Tate's I don't know how you stop this team. You just made mm-hmm. Tate like, really nod violently when you said it was, really? it was Zeke oh, Elliott's game. He totally agrees with you. Tate, who do you okay, think wins good. Dallas Green Bay? I, I believe in Green Bay, unfortunately. Tate's on the Green Bay bandwagon. Yeah, why wouldn't you? Julius Peppers has to win the Super Bowl. Here's the best thing you have going for you, Sal. Mm-hmm. Cowboys making the Super Bowl against the Patriots or Steelers would be the all-time rating splooge fest in the history of Roger Goodell's life. And if you don't <laughs> think he's going to do everything he can to make sure Dallas gets in there. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I think we could see both Hebners. We could see David really? Earl Hebner as the different end zone judges. Oh, yeah. Oh, stuff could happen. I'll take it. You know what? You, you cheated all those years to get to the Super Bowl, your team. Uh, we could do it one year. People Pat, forgive us. Pats, Cowboys, or Steelers, Cowboys is the all-time biggest Super Bowl rating we've had. Yeah, for sure. So it's yeah, hard for me to believe they're just going to roll over and let Aaron Rodgers steal that from us and then lose to Atlanta in round three. And all of a sudden we have, like, Pats Atlanta. It's, you it's think got, maybe they call, the, they call the pass interference in the end zone this week on the Hail Mary? Maybe, you know, something. there's got to be something different. Yeah, maybe they, the maybe, maybe Ty Montgomery doesn't get forward progress in one one-thousandth of a second because his body started right. to bend backwards. Yeah, you might see – I. I promise you won't see Ed Hockley next week. I thought he was all over the place in that game. All right, quickly, before you go, 
The Don Julio shot of the week. It's the world's original handcrafted tequila with multiple unique tequilas, including Don Julio 1942, the best luxury tequila you will ever drink. Our shot of the week. I'm deferring to you on this. I'm just going to follow you blindly. Clemson against Alabama and Nick Saban, who continues to coach with the rookie level mode on in Madden. Just will not leave college and come to the pros where the big boys are. Uh, <laughs> the Alabama people get totally <laughs> mad when you joke about this. They you were really it. mad. There was some fake news about me and Mallory making fun of Nick Saban for staying in college because Mallory and I have joked about that forever. Because I'm always like, "How do you stay in college if you're a great coach? Come to the pros. Right. Why wouldn't you want to battle Belichick?" And you know, there's an element out there that believes college is the best. What's better than? running the Alabama program and having all these awesome athletes. I would like to see him in the pros again. Let's see how good he it's is. It's such a different thing. It's such a different thing. It's, it's, you, it, it's in a way it's you working for ESPN and you hang in your own shingle. It really is. Like you call all the shots in college. You really do. And then you get to the right. pros. You're going to be on a shitty team. You're going to lose 13 games, which you hadn't done in seven years as a college coach. It's, I don't know. I, I don't think you could slam what? a college legend for not going pro. Well, in the pros, it does seem like you need the quarterback one way or the other. Yeah. And if you don't right. have it, maybe not worth it. But like if it, the Indianapolis job opened up, go team up with Andrew Luck and go kick some ass. Yeah. That wouldn't know. be bad. When like Kenyon Drake is your backup running back, it's it's mm-hmm. a little too easy. So yeah. make make our pick for us. Shout out to right. Clemson, uh, Alabama. I'm, I'm gonna make it very simple. I'm not gonna. I don't know the people listening for my college uh, football insight, but you're not gonna get it here. Other than before the year started, I bet the SEC team at five to two to win the title. <laughs> and I don't know if you followed me, but uh, I don't win a lot. So let's take Clemson plus six and a half in the rematch from last year. The Sean Watson puts up a monster game, and they cover. So let's take let's take the points here. All right, that sounds like a good Don Julio shot of the week. On the ringer today, Roger Sherman laid out the three ways Clemson can beat Alabama, and they made a pretty compelling case, so check that out. Cuz, we will talk to you next week. Let me just say, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Ben Affleck tonight, Ruth Nega, and Foy Vance performing. Later in the week, Amy Adams, Jessica Biel, LL Cool J, and Octavia Spencer, Cousin Sal, sure thing. This Friday, I will have my bet of the year. I already know it, Bill. I think you know it, too. Mm. I already know it. And I'm going to have it uh, this Friday. I'm at the Cousin Sal on Twitter. And let's, well, maybe we'll do the podcast like an hour after the Cowboys. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe we go Sunday. I think we do a Sunday night podcast next week. Let's do it. Okay. Why not? It's right, it'll be right after the game. All right, Cuz, good job by you. Good job by you, bud. All right, Joe Buck's going to call in. I want to talk to him about uh, Aaron Rodgers and that Hail Mary and the upcoming NFC playoff games. But first, are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Well, posting your job in one place isn't enough anymore. For the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites. And now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, hire the right person fast. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by... Over 1 million businesses right now. My listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. And again, we talked about hint water earlier, but you know you should drink eight glasses of water a day. So why don't you? Well, you don't because it's bland and you want something that tastes good. Here's the solution. 
Drink Hint water instead. Hint is pure water infused with the taste of fresh fruit. Flavors like watermelon, peach, mango, grapefruit, and many more. No sugars, no chemicals, just great tasting, all natural fruit-flavored water. Plus, you don't have to carry heavy cases of water back from the store. You have it delivered right to your doorstep. Right now, new customers get a single variety pack shipped directly to your door, including three bottles each of Hint's more po- most four popular. I can't speak. Hint's four most popular flavors: either pineapple, watermelon, crisp apple, or blackberry. It's normally twenty-four dollars, but get it for fifteen bucks at drinkhint.com/bs. Code BS. That again. Drinkhint.com slash BS code BS. And now Joe Buck. All right. On the line right now, we have the same publicist, Lewis K. And I had to get this guy because that was such a fascinating game yesterday. And I wanted to get his take on a couple of different things. He has a new book out called Lucky Bastard. I can't remember if he's ever been on the podcast before. Joe Buck, have you ever been on this before? What, have you suffered a series of concussions or something that I I'm think not I aware have. of? No, I've never been on your podcast. Not way before. back. I know that you I know that you rip me on, on your podcast from time to time, but I'm here to, to be present and accounted for and ready to go. <laughs> you only made me mad twice. You made me mad in 03 and 04 because you were doing your job, which was to remind Red Sox fans that we hadn't won in 85 and 86 years. And then... Correct. I'm and then, sorry about that. It was my fault. Well, no, but you learned. Here's the thing. You learned when when you did the uh when you did the Cubs this year. I thought yeah, I thought you were very diplomatic with how you handled it because I felt I know you well, learned from oh four from oh four. Right? Well walk the streets of Cleveland and ask if uh they think the national announcer on Fox was uh, was rooting for the Chicago Cubs. They'll fall all over themselves and cry. And oh my God! Say that I was in the bag for the Cubs, but it's just a no win. I mean, it's it's, and I I've learned to live with that, and I've learned to live with the you hate my team and you suck because you don't like my Tigers or whoever it is. So, you know, when I'm there, not there representing one side, you're kind of in Switzerland. You're in middle ground, and right. then there's a no-win factor in there. So you just kind of let it bounce off and, and realize, in most cases, it's not personal. In some cases, it is, and, and those are the people that I really fear. And uh, I'll, I'll be running into my hotel. I've been chased in your town. I've been chased in Boston into my hotel by two drunk guys walking out of the Beantown pub one time Oh my God. in the aforementioned 2003 <laughs> One guy looked at his friend. They stagger out. I'm I'm getting back to the hotel uh, after one of the games. He's like, "Is that Joe Buck? Wait, 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 is that Joe Buck?" And then they started coming at me, and I went into a brisk walk. I, I had too much pride to run, but a brisk walk to get to the inside of my hotel, and I avoided a, a pummeling, which I'm very proud of myself for. I'm not surprised by that story, and I've been to the Beantown Pub at least 25 times. And that none yeah, of that surprised place, me. Actually. Yeah, they got a little pool table in the back. Since. Yeah, I left yeah, a jacket there, there once, since. never got it back. So, yeah, the other time I remember being upset with you is when you got upset about Randy Moss at Lambeau. Oh, God. But, you, but you've really? admitted We're since. We're going to go over this one? No, that's it. Those are the only two times. I, I'm trying to remember. You said I ripped you. Those are, those were the two times I remember. I don't. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I, I know that our mutual friend John Ham said I'm, I'm on Bill Simmons's podcast 
defending you. What the hell did you do to him? <laughs> John, like, I have no idea. That's he bullshit. He can get in line. He's on no. the list. John, you and Ham and Paul Rudd, all these guys, you have like this little St. Louis Mafia thing, us against them thing going. I've noticed. Well, you do too with your little with the Boston. Boston. I know we do have the Boston thing. thing. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. So you're you're at Lambeau yesterday. Yes. Rogers, there's six seconds left, and Rogers is in hail mary mode, and you know it's coming. And I just talked with cousin Sal about this. He's the first quarterback I've ever seen where in a hail mary situation, you actually think you'd be surprised if somebody at least almost didn't catch it. What's your mindset? Do you pra- do you practice the call in your head ahead of time? How do you how do you act as that's unfolding? No, I, I think it's interesting. I just listened to the call. You know, those those moments kind of come and go when you're doing it. And then uh, I, I was flipping around on uh, NFL Network, and I happened on the highlight, and I wanted to hear how it sounded uh, because you don't really think about it that way when you're doing it. And I think what my mindset was. Six seconds, no timeouts. It's third down or fourth down, I don't know, whatever down it was. You know they're outside field goal range. So Troy and I were both looking for something quick, pass complete, out of bounds, have a shot with one second left to kick a field goal. And then yeah. when he does the old Aaron Rodgers wheel it around and load up the gun thing, what came out of my mouth, and I'm kind of proud it did, as it turns out, is that, you know, whatever I said, nobody's better at this than Aaron Rodgers or whatever. And you're right. It's crazy that, that we are to the point where a Hail Mary, teams can go decades without one of those things working. And, and they're usually a complete throwaway. And this guy's hit three of them in three huge moments over the last two years. And so you're right. I mean, it's like kind of took your breath away. First of all, it's friggin' freezing. Yeah. And secondly, you know, there it is. Like, my God, there's Cobb. Somehow it, it's like he handed it to him in the back of the end zone. And instead it's a 50-yard heave or whatever it was. It just it's, it's unbelievable that he can do that. And it actually turned out it was luckier than – it seemed at the time. At the time, it seemed like this planned play where he was, Cobb, go to the back part of the end zone. I'm going to hit you in perfect. But it actually, Cobb, that Cobb wasn't the intended receiver in that play. So there was a luck element. But when it's Rodgers, you don't even consider the luck element because he's Aaron Rodgers. You're going, you're now, how many, how many years have you done the NFL now? Almost 20? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, since I guess more since 94, you know, I came in with that new crop of people when the world was stunned that somehow Fox got the rights to cover the NFL. Oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. lo and behold, it was, it was because they wrote a bigger check and, uh, you know, they bring Summerall <laughs> and Madden over and then they bring Stockton and Millen over, they bring their production teams. And then it was like, okay, we need depth. We have nobody else and we don't want to do the everybody stand up and pick up one network blazer to your right, and now you're at Fox. So they hired a bunch of young guys. And like I joked at the time, it was the Lucky Sperm Club. It was me, Jack Buck's kid. It was Tom Brenneman, Marty Brenneman's kid, Kenny Albert, Marv Albert's kid, and uh, Kevin Harlan, who's Bob Harlan's son, who was a longtime executive in the NFL. And there we are. I'd never done the NFL in my life. I'd never done high school football. And I went out for an audition, and it went well. And they hired me basically walking out of the door, and 
next thing I knew, I was at Soldier Field doing the Bears on opening day. It was kind of crazy. Wow. I'm still mad at Tom Brennerman. He was mean to Manny in 2003. I still haven't totally forgiven him. I have some healing left to do with Tom Brennerman. The Hail Mary- he was mean to, to, to you? No, to, Man- to Manny. He's, he's, he got a little salty with Manny during a playoff <laughs> game. That's the thing. This is what you guys have to deal with. We take it so personally when we feel like the announcers aren't on our side. Collinsworth was on here two months ago, and he's convinced that every city thinks he's against their team. All, 30, all 32 NFL cities. I am too, and I get the baseball stuff. I, it makes more sense to me in baseball. I think it bleeds over to the NFL. Like, oh, I hate that guy. Because <laughs> you're a baseball fan, so you listen to – Don Orsillo, or whoever yeah. it may be over the years, and I know he's in San Diego and he's gone, but you're listening to Orsillo and Remy, or in San Francisco, they're listening to Kruko and Kuiper, and you know, they're doing it from that fan's perspective. And right. it's like, you know, when the opposition scores a run, like, on oh, a base hit into left field, that'll score a run and it ties the game at two. And then I, I come there, and i got to go, hey, base hit into left, and the game is tied at two. And they're like, I hate this guy. He's rooting against my team. Well, you know so, what? You know, what, you know what, what the worst do? the worst sport for this is NBA, because NBA has it's. I don't know if you have NBA league pass, but it's just homers in every city, including in my city, Tommy Heinsohn, who doesn't think the Celtics have gotten a call in fifty eight years, and he's <laughs> right. he's just freaking out about the refs. Every, oh my! Oh! So then, when you actually watch the Celtics on TNT, you're so conditioned to thinking the refs are out to get you. It really takes like an hour to adjust. To be like, oh, wait, this guy, yeah, well, th- why doesn't this guy think we're getting screwed on the calls? Oh, because Tommy Henson's in my life. That's why. Right. It's, it's, it's a real thing, and I get it. And, and to be honest with you, I'm a victim of it, too, and I, I get it as the fan side of it because I'm a – the one sport I can root for my team is hockey for the Blues. I'm from St. Louis. I'm a – not John Hamm, right. but I'm, I'm a hockey Blues fan. And so – my daughters and I, we go to a lot of games. I have tickets behind the net. It's like I'm obsessed. And when they made the conference finals last year, for as great as Doc Emmerich is and for as great as Kenny Albert and as good of a friend as he is to me, I'm listening to these guys going, I want to hear the Blues announcers. I've listened to them all year, and now when it matters the most, I'm listening to national guys tell me how great the Sharks are. And I don't care. I don't care how the great how great the Sharks are. So I was pissed as a fan. I'm like, oh wait a minute, I get now it. Now you get it. I, and and it was it was a good education. But I don't want to come on your podcast and just bitch and whine the whole time. You're Let's not bitching and whining. This else. is a good conversation. I do think we're headed toward a world and I don't know how many years away we are, and it might be ten, it might be fifteen, it might be five, I don't know. But we are headed toward a world where you get to pick your own announcers. And the key yeah. The key for me will be how the big rights holders, you saw ESPN, they mess around with it, usually with the college football championship where they have the main telecast and then they have basically the telecast devoted for the fans of either team, right? And they've tried this in soccer too. And I do wonder if there's a world 10 years from now where you're calling the the Packers-Cowboys game and yet there's two other Fox channels on FS1 and FS2 that is also running the game and it's just diehard Cowboys fans doing one game and diehard Packer fans doing the other game. Maybe that's where we're going. I don't know. I, we may be, and I think there's there's some merit to that. I think you know it, it really works in baseball. I think in the NFL, 
there really are no local announcers except on radio. Every game's a network game. So right. it's a little bit different that way, but I, I do get it, and, and I, I, I think there's some merit to it. And believe me, if I'm still doing this in 10 years, you can uh, – you can come hit me in the head with a brick and pull me out of the booth and lock the door and we'll, I'll be done. I'll be the one bitching and moaning the get off my lawn guy in my own house and, uh, and you know, probably tuning into the blues, John Kelly and Darren Pang, if they ever make the Stanley Cup final. But maybe, maybe that's your last act. I, it's funny hearing you talk about how you're done because you're still in your 40s, right? Aren't you still in your 40s? Yeah, but my I'm kind of in dog years. I started early. Yeah. I, I, I kind of came out of the womb doing this. So I love it. I swear to you. There, people go, oh, he doesn't care. He's not passionate. It, it's the opposite. You know, if I'm not trying to dominate a game, it's because I know people are tuning in for the game. They're not tuning in for the Joe Buck show. They're, right. they're, they're tuning in for the game. And I've joked all the time that if I get hit by a bus going into Lambeau Field, uh, first of all, there'd be a guy with a big Packers jersey on driving the bus. <laughs> Secondly, they would still play the game, and yeah. there probably wouldn't be a moment of silence. And I re- I'm at least smart enough to know that's how it is. And so, well, well you I, had people go well. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say because we're about the same age. One probably the most seminal, shocking moment in the history of sports TV was when CBS just got rid of Musburger. And I think that was like 1990, something like to that. Him a couple of times, right? But that time it was inconceivable because he was CBS and he did everything, and he had and, been in every. You know, you thought CBS Sports, you thought of Brent first, and then you thought about the the leagues they had, and then they just got rid of him, and we were all stunned. And it's like, well, guess what? They still have all the sports that you were watching anyway. It didn't affect the the ratings. It was it was definitely kind of an illuminating moment. No, yeah, and. Uh... The, the funny thing about that was it set into motion, that specific firing, an opportunity for my dad. And because Musburger got fired, CBS had just picked up the rights to Major League Baseball. Musburger's gone. He was supposed to do the games with Tim McCarver. My dad was supposed to do the second-layer uh, game and do it with Jim Cott. Well, now Musburger's gone, and they give my dad – at the age of 65, the main game with Tim, and it didn't go well at all. I mean, it was, you know, people, I think, fondly remember my dad for a million different great reasons, but I can tell you that two-year period of him doing national baseball on CBS with Tim McCarver was brutal on our family. Rudy Martsky was the main USA Today critic. He was hammering him every Monday, and and it was uh, it was not a fun time for him and consequently for his family trying to, make sure that he got through that unscathed, and it, he didn't. He developed an ulcer and almost killed him, and and all that happened because CBS abruptly fired Brent Musburger. My dad had a two-year deal with a two-year option, and he ended up doing two years. That was it, and uh, McCarver moved on with Sean McDonough, which is, is kind of, it seems like it's four lifetimes ago, but that was in the early 90s. You know, I've heard this, this that Joe, that... uh that your dad, those two years of the baseball, that it went so badly. I watched all those games. I never felt like, I don't know. I, I didn't never felt like, oh, man, this guy's having trouble or any of that stuff. But is there a possibility there was a little bit of revisionist history with that? Or you're saying that in the moment it was really that bad. I just don't remember it. 
No, I don't think it was bad. I think the criticism was bad. And right. It was at a time where there were no blogs. There were local radio, believe it or not, and TV critics and newspapers. And then there was one guy who had a national voice, Rudy Martsky, who if you made that column, USA Today on Monday, you yeah. were holding your breath. And that was still at a time I, I, I followed, you know, I was doing Fox in 94 and the World Series uh, in 96. So I was a part of that generation, too. And it was that column would come out and you would just it was like Charlie peeling back the corner of the Wonka bar looking for the golden ticket. You're holding your breath going, oh, my God, don't be in here this week. Right. And if, if you got through unscathed, that's how much power he had. And and he didn't like my dad. And when the main critic for the country doesn't like you, they had a history, which is detailed in my book, Lucky Bastard, available yeah. at Amazon and in fine bookstores <laughs> everywhere. Uh, when he doesn't like you, you're done. And, and he and Tim didn't get along very well. And Tim didn't really want to work with him, and my dad didn't really enjoy working with Tim, for the most part, Tim was the was the big power guy at CBS at that time. And my dad was kind of like, oh, Brent Musburger's gone. Here's Jack Buck. And uh, they, they never really had a true partnership that, that either one enjoyed. And Tim kind of won out. And then, ironically enough, there I am, five years later, paired with Tim to do the World Series when I was 27, which is just crazy to think but you about guys, now you guys love each other though now though right so obviously you got absolutely past but i had to pull him i had to pull him aside and i and i don't i don't even know he's in his 70s uh, and and so we i'm in my late 40s so i don't know whatever it is 28 years difference whatever the number is and i had to pull him aside at our first seminar and say you know i was a kid and i i was a little intimidated but i i had to do it and it was kind of just sitting there between us my dad was thrilled I was paired with Tim because he knew I was protected against anything that could happen in a baseball game. But the guy next to me had seen it, done it, played in it. And and I said to him, look, I know it didn't go well with my dad, but you and I are together now and we're going to be judged as Joe and Tim, not Jack Buck's kid and Tim, not uh, how was it with Jack and Tim? It's you and me. And I know it didn't go well with my dad and my dad was my best friend, but we're going to have to go forward from here. And I can tell you, Bill, that we, we were together for 18 years, and I grew to love the guy like a brother, like a weird uncle, as I used to joke with him. <laughs> and, and we never had one cross word in 18 years. And I had his back, and he had mine. And nobody taught me how to deal with criticism. Not my dad, not anybody, better than Tim. I mm. mean, I don't know what we can or can't say on here, but... Uh, you know, it was like, oh, they're getting on you. Yeah, F them. They're not sitting here. You're the one sitting here and doing it. And until they're doing it, who cares? And and I, I learned a lot from him, and I'm so thankful that we were put together. But it, it didn't start great. You could have said whatever the fuck you wanted. Just for oh, the record. Well, yeah. say, fuck them. I mean, <laughs> fuck them. They're uh, getting on your ass. I mean, fuck them. Well, and now it's, now it's worse because you have... I mean, you have 40 Rudy Martskis out there, and then you have every team blog and all that stuff. But it does seem yeah. like the one thing I've noticed with your style over the years, because I did feel like you were a Summerall disciple in the beginning, where you let the game tell the story 
don't get too jacked or too low and the, you know not the Gus Johnson style and your style were certainly very very different but it does seem like in the last five years you've gotten swept up in the moment a little bit more is that fair yep exactly totally fair and it's right I think when it's weird because when I started and I was doing Cardinal baseball I was 21 and I was sitting in a booth next to my dad and Mike Shannon and I didn't I don't think I don't think I fell into the trap of trying to sound like my dad. I was my own man, and he let me be my own man. He didn't micromanage me. He he didn't, after games, go, well, here's how I would have done it, or here's how you should have done it. He left me alone, and I found my own style. Then I go to Fox, and I think I'm just one of the young guys. But when Troy and Collinsworth and I took over for Pat and John, I did fall into the trap of trying to sound or trying to imitate Pat Summerall, and you can't do it. Pat Summerall was the master of understatement, but he could he could do it that way. That was his style, and it worked well with Madden, who was yes. all over the place and drawing stuff and look at the snot hanging out of his nose and blah, 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 boom, bam. And Pat would just kind of guide it back to the center line and go second and four. Right. Right. Touchdown. It, and and I, I've started – trying to do that and I was working with two big personalities in Troy and Chris and it carried over to my baseball and then I got sucked into oh you're rooting for this team you're rooting against this team and it, it just it killed me and it, it took the life out of my voice then I almost lost my career because of hair plug surgery right and it, it uh, damaged my vocal cord and I went from you know thinking oh, I got the world licked to I'm done I don't. I think my career is over. And when it came back after nine months, I said, "Screw it! I'm going to do this game at the top of my lungs, and I'm going to get caught up more in the moment and and show how beautiful some of these moments are." And and so I have evolved over the years. I've been lucky enough to do it for a long time, but I think I'm a different announcer, and in many ways, a better announcer now than I was when I was calling those Red Sox Yankees titanic matches back in the early 2000s and, they, and i think that's the only way you can do it that 0304 red sox yankees ollie frazier one and two I, I i just can't imagine we're gonna see anything like that again the cubs i don't think so the no, cubs had it but the cubs were their own story the red sox had the cubs story but also had this hammer nail relationship with the yankees that went 80 years and seven generations and I, I don't know. I, ju- I just don't think we'll ever see anything like the Boone Homer followed by a year later, a 3 nothing comeback. It's just, I, I can't even, as the years go by, I can't even believe it happened. Like, they had something, I can't remember, um, I forget where I read it, but, because I went to both of these games. The Patriots played Seattle. Oh, I was reading the Belichick-Brady book over the break. The Patriots beat Seattle at home on a Sunday in 2004 when they had their streak, which I think ended up being 21 games. And then three hours later was game four, Yankees-Red Sox, oh, 04. Yeah, but I remember It was that. the same day. I went to both of those games. It's like, I, I, I don't know. I just feel like I've peaked as a Boston sports fan. People don't want to hear it because they're like, oh, you guys, you won all the titles. But it's like, I don't know what happens now. We, I don't know how we beat I, 04. I how do you beat it? You can't. I don't know. I don't know who the counterpunch is going to be to the Cubs, and you're no. not going to have. I mean, is it going to be the Cardinals? Is it going to be? And it's not. It doesn't have the same venom that 
Yankees Red Sox had for as you said I mean this was a this was a rivalry that went decades but it's different than the Cardinals and Cubs I've lived the Cardinals and Cubs and yeah. you know believe me people in Chicago think I'm you know go to bed in my Cardinal PJs every night <laughs> and wake up in my helmet car bed that's got a big Cardinal logo on it and that's not the case. People in St. Louis, by the way, think that I've abandoned the Cardinals and I love every team but St. Louis, ironically enough. But I, I just, I think the Yankees and the Red Sox in the early 2000s, especially with the personalities involved, whether it was Manny Ramirez and Kurt Schilling, Pedro Martinez, Jeter. Roger Clemens, uh, yeah, all those great Yankees, Jeter, Bernie Williams, uh, Paul O'Neill, uh, man, I, I, I just don't, I, maybe I'm just, you know, now wistful for days gone by, but I, I don't see that coming anytime soon well, in like, Major was, League Baseball. And it was a different league, too. It was very top-heavy back then, and you had that A-Rod thing, which kind of symbolized everything going, that had happened between these two franchises for 80 years. The Red Sox think they have A-Rod. The trade falls through. Aaron Boone hurts his knee. All of a sudden, the Yankees have A-Rod, and it's like, oh, my God, this happened again. Yet again, they've won. Right. I mean, my whole life I grew up, like when Yogi Berra told Bernie Williams in like the 99 playoffs, he thought Bernie Williams looked nervous. And he was like, Bernie, relax. We've been beating these guys for 80 years. I mean, that was my life. I don't think baseball now that the Cubs have won. You know, the Indians, yeah, 1948. But I think the Cavs did did help the Cleveland narrative a little bit. I don't think the Indians winning the World Series, it'll still mean a ton, but it won't mean the same. To me, it's like... The big ones left now are in football. I think I think the Browns and the Bills and the Vikings, those three Wait specifically. Wait a minute, you're not buying in on the Arizona Cardinals? They're the they're the longest Man, running because they had franchise no, movement. Know. You know that's, but the Bills, it's like them coming back from. They haven't even made the playoff. They haven't won a playoff game this century. The Browns lost their team, and it's been a train wreck ever since they got it back. And then the Vikings have had five decades now of just getting kicked in the nuts. I would I would think those trump yeah. any baseball narrative that's left. I well I, I'd still like to see I I'd love to see Cleveland, um, especially coming off this last World Series where if I'm an Indians fan and I know I know plenty of my family members. My dad grew up in Lakewood, Ohio and yeah. was an Indians fan as a kid. So I I had cousins and nieces and whatever that probably wanted to punch me in the face as I'm screaming and yelling for the Chicago Cubs, but I, I would love to see it because it's really a great city, and, and it's it's really, in many ways, a, a very pretty city when you when you fly in there and by the lake and, you know, great suburbs, and now the downtown's picked up some and the new stadiums are terrific. They're just waiting for the Browns to catch up and for the Indians to finally do it. I, I would personally love to see the Indians uh and that drought it's been too, too long for for an organization that back when i was starting and, and you know well i mean they were loaded loaded and they just never got it done and it, you know they took a team to seven games of a world series in florida and, and came up short but man that there's was a, a team that was certainly worthy of winning it all yeah there's a couple that are now entering the it's been a long time and and like the astros and the rangers I think are two that the Astros never get mentioned in the tortured fan base conversation, but they've now been around for, I think almost five decades and they've had some tough hits over the years. You don't think of them as a tortured fan base, but I would definitely put them in there and same thing for the Rangers. But I still think, absolutely, I still think the, uh, 
the Bills, Vikings, Browns, those three kind of gain steam. And I'll tell you another one. It's going to be really. We'll wrap this up in a second, but you you have the. I'm sure you're calling Cowboys Packers this weekend, right? Yes. So the Cowboys now, it's been twenty plus years since they met anything, and you have all these Cowboy fans now that are under thirty that have never really made the run before, and it's going to be really interesting. And how amazing is it? Yeah. How amazing is it that they've stayed the most relevant while they have been since Aikman left. And since they had that run, yep. they've been, up until this year, basically a 500 team. I mean, almost exactly 500 cumulative numbers. Yeah, And yet, as you've seen the articles, no team on network television brings the audience of the Dallas Cowboys. And no team has as much interest. And I would submit to you that it's because of the owner. I mean, he... he Jerry Jones has kept that team relevant for whatever reason, whether it's the little feuds that have gone on, the Jimmy Johnson thing started it, they went to the top of the mountain and couldn't coexist. And then Aikman is phased out and the triplets are gone and now they try again. And they've, But, I mean, that team, there have been stretches where they've been terrible with, like, Chad Hutchinson at quarterback and, yeah. uh, and different guys that, that shouldn't have been in the NFL probably or, or weren't capable of being – you know, a leading man on a stage like that, and my God, they they have they have the most relevance in the NFL television ratings wise. I mean, it's undeniable. So uh, I, he fascinates me. Jerry Jones is the GM and the guy that that will kind of say kooky shit, and then he you know now they've kind of backed up his plan. I mean, he when does he get credit for being the GM that's put this offensive line together and? You know, took hits for drafting a running back as high as he drafted Ezekiel Elliott. People thought that was a bad pick. And, and he look also, what he's done. And the stadium. I mean, he made two of the great business decisions in the history of the league. One was just what he paid for the Cowboys. And just, he knew he was buying a brand and it was, you know, he wasn't looking at what he was buying, more like what they meant, which was super smart. And people really weren't totally thinking that way in the 80s. And then, then the stadium is... You know, one of the great, one of the great things that has been built by an owner in the last thirty years, and it's a spectacle, and it's freaking awesome. Uh, I, I think he'll he'll go into the into the Hall of Fame potentially this year, and I think you can look at you know whatever business Hall of Fame there is. Jimmy Johnson, even at the height of their, I don't like you, you don't like me, uh, relationship, said if I had one dollar left in my pocket. I would give it to Jerry Jones and say, make something out of this. This guy is a forward-thinking business genius. You may not like him as a GM. I, I personally think he deserves a lot of credit for this team. But, uh, man, as far as forward-thinking people in the NFL, the money he's made the other owners from these TV deals where he and Kraft, but he's kind of taken the, the baton forward even more. And with these stadiums that are being built, multi-purpose, multi-event across different sports. Holy God, that guy has made money, and he was flat broke when he bought the Cowboys in 89 to the point where when I interviewed him on my direct TV show, I talked to his daughter, and she said, I remember him being so stressed. We were at the family dinner table, and he was raising his water glass to his mouth to drink, and his hand was shaking so much the ice cubes were clanking against the side of the glass. He was a wreck. 
and, wow. and look at look where he sits right now. It's it's remarkable. What Super Bowl do you think Fox wants? Do you think they would rather have Cowboys Patriots or Cowboys Steelers? You know, what gets a higher rating? I don't I, even know. I think, I think Cowboy. I think Cowboys Patriots. If if I'm going to go along with this line of question, I, I will answer your question. I I think. You know, we, we get accused, as we've already talked to a ridiculous length on this podcast, of who you're rooting for and all that. I don't care. But right. I, I think the average fan knows Brady and Belichick. And it, it might and Jerry bring Jones and the Cowboys. Jerry yeah. Jones and all that stuff. So I, the hardcore football fan, I, it doesn't matter. But if you're looking for what rating is the NFL and Fox in this case, just because it's our turn in the the yeah. three team cycle here, you know, will at the end of this year where everybody's been talking about ratings and ratings are down and why are ratings down? The casual fan probably knows the most about the Cowboys and the Patriots, and and I think that that has to affect a rating. But beyond that, who cares? I I, I think we're in a position where all the matchups for the most part, would be compelling. Yeah, Rodgers, the Cowboys, the Pats, the Steelers, even Matt Ryan. I think it's a pretty nice one. It's the only How one about that's Kansas City. Kansas City, and then I guess I think they're a fun team to watch. Of all the national team, the national games that I saw coming out of the AFC, I'm going to watch a Patriots game, and I found myself locked in on a Chiefs game because of Tyreek Hill. Because I love the quarterback, I love his story, and and I really like the head coach. And so, to me, they're a really fun watch. And they're only laying a point and a half at home against the Steelers. They're an underrated watch, too. Hey, last question, then we got to go. Aaron Rodgers, watching him yesterday, is that the best you've seen a quarterback play in a game you've announced, or is there somebody who's still a little bit higher? That He's, he's consistently the best I see because – not only do you combine, you know, everybody talks about, and I'm, I'm not qualified, even though most guys who aren't act like they are, about the release, the quick release, and, yeah. and, you know, what he does with his arm. But with his legs, there's layer number two. And with his mind and the way he kind of, I think he's a very intelligent, legitimately intelligent guy. You can see that because he won Celebrity Jeopardy. Right. And you know <laughs> that, that there's a level of intelligence there where he looks at a game from a completely different angle. And so now you see what he does, and it's well-documented. He has rules. We asked him, how do you catch all these teams with too many men on the field? And he'll tell you where the ball has to be. It's got to be inside the numbers. It's got to be away from the opposite, from the team's bench that they're playing. And then he's looking for different clues as to, are they running guys on? Are they running guys off? So he's developed that into a skill that, it's fun to watch Aikman talk to him about it because you know the wheels are turning and Aikman's head going, man, I never thought about that. God. So you've got incredible arm, uh, a complete mastery of an offense, legs that kill you when everybody's covered. Uh, and then what he did inside the pocket, dancing around yesterday for that first touchdown, was unbelievable. And well, and he just he will let the play bleed down, and he'll take a sack every once in a while. He took sacks yesterday he shouldn't have taken. Yeah, uh, he got lulled into a false sense of security, but he also scored the first touchdown because he was willing. Uh, the third touchdown because he was willing to to let stuff develop, 
and risk a sack and hit the hit the touchdown and then all that offside stuff. I, he's the best going. He's the best I've ever covered. The thing that's great about him is he kind of solves the other team as as the game goes along. You know, he had, he had pro, he had problems the first twenty five minutes in that game yesterday. But it's almost like a boxer. Like Andre Ward is the best of this. Andre Ward somewhere between the first round and the sixth round kind of figures out the other guy and how close he can get to him and just what's going to work and not work. And Rogers the same way, but you could see it midway through third quarter is like, all right, I figured it out. These guys are done. And then he just does it. It didn't matter that Jordy Nelson was out. He's just like, I, I know what to do now. I'm going to do it. And that was it. I think boxing's a good, is a good comparison because there's a feel there's a, it's, it's more than just let's go, to the sideline and look at the uh, tablet and look at what guy it's when he's in there and stuff's flying around there's a feel with his feet where to go and he's he's aware of what's around him and he's aware of who he's looking at in the secondary and where his guys are and then their scramble drill which we get a chance to watch in practice is like a choreographed mess and it looks it looks sloppy and it looks like well, you know, it, the play broke down, and there are times that the, Devontae Adams told us in our meeting, there are times in practice where the first guy will be open and Aaron won't throw it, and he'll let the play break down, and then they go through their rules what to do to come back to him to get open. He's looking for the big strike. He'll, for, he'll forego the 9-yard completion, the 12-yard completion for a 48-1 because – that's what he's he's looking for the home run all the time, and that's pure feel. Yeah, and and that that's that's the artistry of uh, of a guy like Aaron Rodgers, and and I Brady, your guy Brady has the same feel. There's an intelligence there that 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 you don't get with other guys. Yeah, and Peyton Manning had it too, and going way back, Montana definitely had it. But it it is definitely it's something that separates the great, great, great quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks, and it's a select Yeah, and I didn't cover Peyton enough. I didn't do a lot of those games because it was AFC, and I I got into the NFL at the end of Montana. I did one of his games in Kansas City, but that's a guy I would have loved to have gotten to know as a player uh, and, you know, not as the Skechers pitch man or whatever he is now. (laughs) I, I know him. You know, when I see him around, and he's a great guy, but I wish I could have sat in a production meeting with him and kind of go through what he's looking at. But I don't know that they can even explain it. I don't know that they can. Aaron Rodgers can't sit there in a meeting room and tell you, you know, how he found. I don't know. It was a Devonte Adams for that touchdown. Right. I don't. He can't tell you how. It's just he has a feel when he's in the moment that other guys don't have, and that that's what greatness is. Well, please come back on before the Super Bowl. Uh, Joe Buck, lucky bastard. That's is up the to book. Lewis K. I know. Well, well I'll negotiate with, uh, with uh, our publicist. But Joe Buck, lucky bastard is the book. Cowboys Packers this week, NFC title game next week, and then the Super Bowl. Good luck with this uh, run of awesome football games here. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks, All right. Bro. Thanks for coming on. Yep. All right. Thanks to Cousin Sal. Thanks to Joe Buck. Thanks to SeatGeek. Buy and sell tickets on your phone by downloading their free app right now. Thanks to Channel 33. That's the Ringer's pop culture podcast that features Jam Session, the Mass Man's Wrestling Podcast, our Gamer Podcast, and as of this month, my brand new Sports hall, sports Movie Hall of Fame Podcast with Chris Ryan, as well as Bachelor Party with Julia Littman. That's our Bachelor Recap. Subscribe to Channel 33 and all of the Ringer's other podcasts on your favorite audio platform. And good luck to John Favreau and company 
on their uh, Pod Saves America podcast, which launches this week. Talk to you later in the week. 